So in looking tonight at one verses 116, we want to see where it's situated in these Psalms. Just like anything, whenever we read the Bible, we must always read it in its context. Here we see in its context of the Psalm that verses 113 and 115, you actually see that they're the same. Uh, one grouping and one sixteen to one eighteen. One thirteen to one fifteen does not has any uh, singular, uh, per, uh, uh, what do you call it? A singular verb, a first person singular verb like I, me, and my. Okay, it's corporate. That is involving others. Okay, there's a, a perspective of others looking in to uh, uh, into the suffering and the things that are going on with Christ, and, and also God's redemptive plan with Exodus. I do believe um, the more I study the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, you see that the theme of Exodus is really kind of like the template uh, to interpret Israel's history, and also eventually with even salvation. Uh, I don't have time to go over it, but I think the book of Mark is actually structured um, in terms of the big macro structure of the book is a the theme of a new Exodus, so to speak. So when you look at verses 116, this is where it gets suddenly very personal. Even as we what we read earlier tonight, you kind of see that the psalmist is crying out, crying out to God for help, okay? Crying out to God for help. So in this light, um, in this light we see, in light of this, um, you guys can still hear me? Okay. Uh, so in light of this, uh, what we're going to see uh, for tonight is we see, looking a little bit more closer at Psalm 116, we're going to see uh, how it speaks to, uh, how does it minister to us, okay? The way I structured it tonight is a little bit odd if you read the commentaries. Uh, commentaries are all, always split, uh, you know, of how to do things. Uh, but this one is especially more so, okay? Um, I divide it into really three points, okay? Uh, three points. Remember how I mentioned um, even doing other studies when we did Psalms, selected Psalms. Psalms often, especially in Hebrew poetry, they often what they like to do a lot is actually structure in a way like a sandwich. Okay, you think of a burger, right? You think of a burger. Uh, on top is what the pa- uh, buns. Okay, and then the bottom is what buns, right? And in the middle is what your main thing. Okay. Uh, I actually think the best way to divide this is actually in verses 1 to 2 is shows our responses to God, responding to God. And also verses 17 to 19 is responding to God. Here there's a lot of action of, of, of response to God. But then in the middle is the, the patty, so to speak, right? Um, there's actually two patties, okay? Kind of like a in and out, double, double, right? So point number one, or patty number one, right, is in verses three to eight, the Messiah's lowly experience, okay? The Messiah's lowly experience. Uh, And then verses nine to 16, verses nine to 16 is where we see is trust God. uh, Oh, whoa, I didn't even change this, okay. Um, Sorry, you guys still see my screen? No, right, okay. I have a major error writing, okay. Verses 9 to 16, I would say the Messiah's uh, future hope, okay. Maybe the best way of phrasing it is the Messiah's future hope. I actually didn't title this, okay. The Messiah's future hope, okay. So when you look at this, uh, verses, so we're going to begin in verses uh, 3 to 8 first, and then later in the end, as we draw application, we're going to look at 1 to 2 and verse 17 and 19, which are kind of like our book ends. Or the uh, buns, right? It was the application 
of all the truths that we've seen earlier. So here in verses, uh, when we pick up here, when we look at verses 3 right away, we see that the psalmist is, or, or the person that's speaking here, he's going through a very tough situation. Yes? He's going through a very dire situation. In fact, when you look at verses 3, the first line says, The cords of death encompassed me. Okay? Um, so he's surrounded by death. And just like the same way when you think of like a rope someone's hanging on, it's like his life is about to pass before him. Same way also as well, the cords of death is surrounding him. It's almost the idea of there's a noose on him and it's about to be squeezing out all his air, all his oxygen. Is this dire situation that this individual is in, okay? Again, remember like I said earlier, unlike verses 13 to uh, uh, Psalm 113, 114, 115. This is now very personal. We were kicked off right away with a very vivid scene. Like, whoa, what is going on with this individual? What is he facing in this situation? Second line says, And the terrors of Sheol uh, came upon me. Okay? And the terrors of Sheol came upon me. So you see here in this uh, second line, you see um, that there's also not just only death, but the word Sheol. Okay? The word Sheol is a, uh, is a word that has more than one meaning, okay? has more than one meaning. Sheol is a Hebrew word. Sometimes it could just refer to a grave. Sometimes it just refers to death. And sometimes if you're paying attention, it also is actually referring to the afterlife, okay? is after you die, it's an underworld, okay? Uh, it's underworld. Later, the, you know, Greeks would call that Hades. Is By the way, the Greek word for Hades, which we often think of hell, is often used to translate uh, the Greek translation of the ancient Greek translation of the Old Testament. By the way, the Old Testament was originally first written in Hebrew, right? But then, just like today, I might be Chinese, but I, I don't know Chinese, how to read and write. So I need someone to translate to my tongue, which is English. Same thing for the Jews back then, especially in Jesus' day, a lot of them don't know Hebrew anymore. Because they're outside living in the Greco-Roman world. So even those that lived there was kind of like a mutt language called uh, Aramaic, okay? That's blend with uh, Chaldean, which is the Babylonian language. So here you see in verses 3, uh, the terrors of hell even came upon me. Okay, So this individual is in a very dire, very tough, very serious situation. A very dire, very tough, very serious situation. And notice what is the guy's reaction. Notice what is the guy's reaction. Let's look at the individual's reaction in the third line of verses 3. The third line of verses 3 says, I found distress and sorrow. Okay? I found distress and sorrow. So you see in verses 3, you see the first thing is the reaction of all of this is very human. Is whenever we're faced with, with, um, with life-threatening situation, our, I think it is a rightful response in the beginning of like saying, Hey, you are what? Are going through a tough time, okay? You are going to go through a tough time. Okay, so um, so you see that he's facing distress, but there's also a feeling of sadness. There's a feeling of sorrow, okay? There is a feeling of sorrow that has also occurred. But then we also see that this individual, in his midst of suffering, he's facing the risk of hell itself. There's also a deeper reaction, there's also a deeper reaction. Look with me in verses uh, 4. There's a deeper reaction, and this deeper reaction is one of trusting in God and crying out to Him for help. Okay, It's an attitude of crying out to God for help. He's again facing 
a, di- a dying situation. He's facing even the risk of hell itself. And in verses uh, 5, it says, oh, verses 4 says, Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech you, save my life. Okay? Um, notice he's calling upon what? What he's calling upon is the name of the Lord. Okay? By the way, the name of the Lord is a very important theme in, our, in, in these collection of Psalms. Okay? If you look with me in Psalm 115, uh, on Sunday we've looked at it, the very first line. Remember, like we know this psalm, probably we only know most of us probably know this verse more than the rest of the psalm, which is the one that says, uh, says, Not to us, O Lord, uh, not to us, but to your name be your glory. So these psalms teach us about the importance of God's name, and God's name basically represents who he is, his truest essence. Okay, so we see that he's glorious, we should give him glory, but then, and also in Psalm 113. Notice in verses 3, it says, uh, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Okay, So the name of the Lord is important. We see God's name is supposed to be praised. You see God's uh, name should be given glory. But now we see it gets fascinating. Because when we suddenly hit the uh, Psalms that are very personal in this set of Psalms, you see that now it touches on even salvation. And by the way, it's fascinating because it's touching about salvation in a psalm that's actually very personal. And you know what I think, I think we get from this? Is I think God used Psalm 113, 14, and 15 to minister to Jesus Christ. To say, you know what? You are going to go through a tough time and trials and suffering and all of this. But it's all for your people. It's all for your people. For those who used to be a woman that were barren. But now that has child, and now you lift them up. For those who are lowly, you lift up. For those that were oppressed, you will save. You will give freedom. You will liberate spiritually. All of that. So that keeps Jesus focused on his mission to save us. But then when he gets to 116, I think one thing we need to see here is salvation is very personal. Okay? Salvation is very personal. It involves every individual. In other words, we cannot just say, hey, we were born in a certain country. Maybe of a certain ethnicity, and therefore we say, oh, I'm automatically a Christian, okay? Uh, I'm automatically a Christian. Uh, my brothers and sisters, that's not the case, okay? Uh, I love what uh, J- Mr. Burton, John Burton's old um, pastor used to say, I think it was him, used to say that God does not have any grandchildren, okay? God does not have any grandsons. You're either a child of God or you're not, okay? If you're a Christian, you are a child of God. You're a son of God. Okay, and daughters of God. Okay, but here we see, in light of this, in light of this, going back on, you see that this theme of God's name is what brings about salvation. He's crying out, and notice if you look with me in verses five, verses five. Now there's a focus on God's character. This person is remember he's facing the risk of hell itself. Okay, he's facing the risk of hell itself, and now it focuses on the character of God. It says, Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is compassionate. In looking uh, at verses 5, there's three attributes of God that is being focused upon. There's how many attributes of God? Raise your hand. Three attributes of God, okay? Three attributes of God. Okay? Three attributes of God. Uh, of his name first when we read this verse 5 says gracious the Lord and righteous yet our God is compassionate first characteristic is he is gracious what does gracious mean what does gracious mean it means or Nancy you're going to say something 
okay. Uh, or one of my daughters. I heard someone saying something. Okay. Uh, gracious means what? We all know what grace means. If we're a believer, is what God giving us what we do not deserve. God giving us something that we would like that we do not deserve. Okay. Um, mercy is the opposite. Okay. Mercy is God giving, not giving us something we deserve that we would not like. Okay. So when He saves us from hell, He's what? Merciful. Right? He spares us something that we do not want, that we deserve. Grace is what? When we go to heaven, going to in the presence of God, that is something we want. That is something that is good, but we don't deserve. And God is this way. So notice here, focusing uh, on God, He focuses on the character of God, that He is, number one, gracious. Okay, That is, God dispensing unmerited favor. Okay? Unmerited favor. Also notice the second characteristics. He is what? Righteous. Okay? What does righteous mean? In Hebrew, this term has to do with the idea of justice. Uh, of, of the idea of, of legally uh, being a judge. You have to do what is right. And a legal judge, when he sees someone sin or, or broke the law, what does the guilty party deserve? To be punished, okay? So you might say, whoa, it seems like they're incompatible, okay? They're incompatible, gracious, and yet righteous. And yet also, notice the third term, compassionate. That is the idea of being merciful out of love, okay? You're merciful not because you're, you're, um, you're grudgingly because you have to, but He's doing it out of love. God loves to forgive. Listen, God wants to show mercy, Sometimes when we live through life and fighting our sin and we only focus on our sin and only focus on our sin, we can sometimes lose focus that and we automatically as Christians adopt in our mindset a works righteousness thing. We say, oh God, I have to do this. Ah, oh, He's putting up with me again. But God is actually des desires to show mercy. God desires to give us good things in our life. Not because we deserve it, but surely because of His being. So this individual here facing the, uh, this dire situation of death and all of this, he cries out in the name of the Lord. And he remembers these three characters of God. Now, as we, like I said earlier, these two attributes, grace and compassion as two attributes, you can see, oh yeah, they're other side of the same coin, right? Like heads or tail. But then you might say it's harder to say, how is that compatible with God being righteous? That is legally as a judge having to execute justice, which I think is the theme of the song, is the theme of the song, okay? So if you look with me now, in verses 6, it goes on and shows the result. It goes on and shows the result, okay, of this man crying out to God. It shows the result. The result is this, verse 6, The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low, and He saved me. Okay? Um, verse 6, the first line begins with just a general statement in a third person singular. Okay? That is, the Lord saved the simple. And here the word simple here the word simple. Uh, sorry. Here the word simple. Uh, here has the idea uh, of someone that is kind of naive. Okay, kind of naive. An idea of almost being ignorant also as well in other contexts, okay? And I think this is, fits into Jesus' theme, right? Blessed are those who are what? Meek, right? Blessed are those. Uh, all these things. God will what? Save them if you're humble, okay? So God uh, saved those who trust in Him. And by the way, Jesus even says, right, we need to have a childlike what? Faith, okay? Uh, childlike. Not an immature faith, 
But a childlike faith means in a sense of trusting in God, okay? Not even sure in the sense of you should be growing up, you should be changing all of that, okay? So here we see that is uh, important. Hold a quick. Hey, girls, could you guys behave? I'm going to say this, not going to say this one more time, okay? Okay, so going... Okay, going back on, sorry. Uh, here we see uh, in the psalm here... Uh, that God will save those who are simple enough to just trust Him at His word, okay? But then he was, this interesting part is that's a third-person uh, summary, right? Third-person perspective. The Lord preserves the simple. But I love the second line, verse 6. What does it say? It gets very personal. I was brought low, and He saved me, right? I was brought low, and He saved me. In reading these passages, in our first part of our part one, the Messiah's lowly experience, you see in verses three to eight. Uh, by the way, verses seven talks about he finds rest. Okay, he finds rest, um, and I think that's a big theme, right, all throughout the Bible from Genesis onward to Revelation, right. And yet, true rest is only found in in God. Okay, uh, as it says, He returned to your rest, O my soul. Okay, the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Um, so here we see again the theme of God's grace. And then in verses 8, that God also rescued my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from stumbling. In summarizing all of this, we see that whoever this individual is, is going through a very desperate situation. And God's able to save him. Now, reading this line, I think all of us, if we're a Christian, in some sense, this applied to all of us, right? Because of our sin, we all deserve death. We all deserve hell, yes? And yet God saved us from that. He um, spare us from the fate of hell and, and we call upon the name and, and all of that. But remember, like I said, reading through these scripture, reading through these scripture, in light of the fact that Jesus read this as he was approaching, as he was approaching to the cross, I think this actually makes it even more illuminating. Okay? Because when it says here, Jesus, when Jesus Christ was going to death, think about it, the night before he died. Was his disciples able to comfort him adequately? No, right? They were often, you know, he's saying he's going to die and they're still arguing about all the time. You see the pattern? Anytime Jesus talks about he's dying, the disciples get in an argument. When they ever get in an argument, it's always the same thing. And multiple times in his ministry, it's always to say who's the greatest. Who's going to, almost like, hey, who's going to take Jesus' place? So he was not comforted. That night he told at the Garden of Gethsemane, hey, pray with me. I'm going through this hard time. He's crying almost as if he's bleeding. And his disciples were what? All asleep. In fact, I think that's a lesson for all of us. People will disappoint us. Listen, I will disappoint. The church will disappoint. All of us will disappoint. But Christ also knows what that disappointment was like. If there's any comfort Jesus Christ had during that whole last week of Jesus' life, it was actually reading Psalm 113 to 118. Okay, when we get to... Uh, you know, Psalm 118, if you look at the New Testament, man, that last week of Jesus is mentioned multiple times again and again. So these Psalms would administer to him. He was one who had courts surrounding him. He was uh, undergoing enduring hell. And yet all of this thing, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God did not respond because he was taking on the full wrath of God. But God did respond. After he died, his spirit, when he cried out, Father, into your hand I commit my spirit. The Father received it, and three days later resurrected him to show that God has really truly vindicated him. You see, the way that God could be all those three attributes that we read earlier in verses 5, that he is 
righteous, that He is compassionate, that He is gracious, all of that could be only possible because of Christ dying and suffering on the cross. And as we read here, Jesus Christ, if He read that night, and which He did that night in verses 8, by the way, Jesus having to be obedient would have fulfilled the Passover. You realize we can mess up so many times with many things. But Jesus Christ, being fulfilling the law, would have participated reading these Psalms and would have read these things when it says in verses 8, You rescue my soul from death. Or also the part in verses 7 when it says, For the Lord has dealt, uh, uh, no correction, verses um, 6, I was brought low. No one was brought any lower than who? Jesus Christ. And yet, God the Father saved him. Here is a psalm. I think this psalm is a little bit more than just about us. This is actually Christ's hymn book. Him leading His disciples to sing about it. Okay? You guys all know Beethoven? You guys all know Beethoven? Okay. Uh, sometimes when I do sermons, uh, when I study my sermons, I love listening just to play Mozart in the background and Beethoven. I don't know anything about classical music, okay? I don't know anything about music at all. I think I share with you guys, like, even songs that I like. Uh, my daughters know my, my favorite song. What's my favorite song? Amazing Grace. I don't even remember the lyrics to the song. You guys realize that? That's how weird I am with that, okay? Uh, but if you ask me about quotes, right? Oh, man, I could quote, you know, things, famous quote, you know, or parts of the Bible. Not perfectly, all that kind of thing. I bring up Beethoven to make a point. When Beethoven first played his music, one of the first concerts he had when he played the music, um, when he led the orchestra, after it was done, one of the violins actually threw his uh, violin and broke it because he said, well, this is so terrible. The audience was like, what? And then some of the workers that worked for him in the orchestra said, oh, you know what? I want, I'm going to quit. That was a horrible job. We've never heard anything like this. So what's, what's wrong with you? And you know what Beethoven said? He said, oh, that's okay. These are songs for the future. These are, this is not songs for right now. These are songs for the future. And by the way, 500 years later, people are still listening to Beethoven, right? I think the same way is the same thing like the Psalms. These Psalms, yes, it's about, it has points of Israel and everything, but I think the way it's laid out, the way God's sovereignty, it's laid out all of this is for the future. It's not just only for you. And yes, we get application from it, but it's ultimately set up to minister to the Messiah so that He would be able to be encouraged to have the strength to go forward to die for your sins. To go forward to die for your sins. These Psalms, I think the more we read Scripture according to its greater canonical flow, I think you see the more greater appreciation of seeing that, hey, this is about Jesus and we love you. What is trial that he will go through? That the cords of death, in verse 3, encompasses him. And the terrors of Sheol came upon him. And yet he bore the full wrath of God to die, to save us from our sins, so that God could be compassionate, gracious, and righteous in relations to us. Let's go on now to the second point. Let's go on now to the second point. Trust God because He remembers us. Okay. Oh, no. Correct. Oh, man. I miswrote the second point. The second point um, is the Messiah's future hope. Okay. Messiah's future hope. As you know, Jesus Christ did die. As soon as He said, into your, Father, into your hand, I commit my spirit, He passed away. But then we also see in verses 9 to 16, there is what? Hope. Okay. The Messiah's hope. Look with me in verses 9. Verses 9. Where it got really dark earlier, now the theme gets really, really positive, okay? 
Versus, in fact, by the way, it's so different that uh, some of the Jewish Bibles, uh, correction, the Greek translation of Jewish Bible, actually, if you read the uh, Greek translation, the ancient Greek, they actually called Psalm 116, they broke it accidentally in two. Okay? They called, they stop in verses 8 and then verses 9. They, uh, maybe that's another Psalm. And then they numbered it something else. But it's the same word, okay? So that's a Greek translation. Uh, no other translation, all the, you know, the Latin Vulgate, none of those other has issues with that, okay? The Syriac, Peshitta, none of that, okay? Or Aramaic Targums. Just one, because I think they were like, huh, why is this one so positive or so negative? Right? He's crying and he's saying he's going to die. And the next one is like, huh, why is he so much hope? Verses 9. I shall walk before the Lord in the land of the living. That's incredible. Here was a man that was just about to face the terrors of Sheol, who was about to die. Now he says, hey, I'm living. I'll walk before the land, Lord, in the living. Okay. By the way, this is where we have to be very careful. Okay. If you guys remember when we began this whole thing with coronavirus, I went through Psalm 91. And I know a lot of people, I, I love you if you guys quote it, it's Okay. But I want to encourage and challenge you to think more deeper. People oftentimes quote in Psalm 91, Oh, you know what? I'll never get any virus at all. Okay. Now, sometimes God does protect. I, th- I mentioned before our Marine unit, a lot of our chaplain encouraged us to read that and pray. And he's like, the chaplain saying, You know what? Pray this Psalm. No one is going to die. I said, like, Well, it came true. But that's not a promise. It's by the grace of God. Psalm 91 is about the Messiah. Uh, even much more explicitly than 117. But I want to bring this to say this. If you read verses 9, you can misappropriate and misapply it, right? And think, okay, hey, it says, uh, I'm in the land of the living, okay? That I should be in the land of the living. Therefore, oh, I will never get sick. I, you know, that's not how it works. That is the prosperity gospel, where it's about health and about wealth. About blab it, grab it, name it, claim it. But the Bible, you see a lot of true followers suffer. Think of the original disciples of Jesus. How many died? How many were martyred? How many even John who lived was also persecuted and arrested? Okay. So in light of this, I think this psalm here shows now the Messiah's perspective. That, hey, after all the suffering, there is a future hope. What's a future hope? It says in verses 9 that he will one day be walking in the land of the living. Okay. That there is a hope of life after death. In verses 10, I believe when I said I am greatly afflicted, okay? So he says, hey, it is true. And I know, uh, you know, it wasn't just his imagination. And then he also says an alarm, all men are liars, okay? All men are liars. I think there's a sense the Messiah, if you remember the Gospel of John, he knows what's in man. And we know the Bible says that all of us are what? Liars, okay? Verse 12, what shall I render to the Lord? For all his benefit flow towards me. And then they started getting focused on salvation in verses one, uh, verses thirteen. Verses they shall 13. lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. Okay, uh, verses thirteen. Yes, uh, the cup of salvation. Okay, remember Christ, the night before he's going to die. What did he say in Garden of Gethsemane to the Father? Father, if it's your will, right, let this cup pass from me. You might say, Hey, where's a cup? There's no cup when he was... Was there a cup when, when Jesus Christ was praying in the mountain? Right? And by the way, the dinner, he had a cup, right? All the symbols laid out, all the four cups, all that kind of thing. But here in verses 13, is the cup of salvation. He says, I shall lift up the name of the cup of salvation and call it upon the name of the Lord. Okay. By the way, when Jesus Christ was dying, I don't think Jesus Christ was... You know, you guys ever have this? Um, I know sometimes when I evangelize, people tell me like, "Oh, you know, it's easy for Jesus to die." 
because he's God. It's like you ever play video games and you have like cheat codes or or you or you pay or the worst is you pay money and then you have infinite amount of gold, infinite amount of life, right? Uh, infinite amount of power. And then some of us sometimes say, you know, it's easy for Jesus to die for our sins because Jesus Christ being God, he could always have cheat codes. He could always have all the amount of infinite power. But I actually think Jesus Christ, in order to fully die for us, means that in his humanity, that is, he's going to limit his power to his humanity only, okay? In his humanity, then therefore what? Totally not relying on his own power alone, die for us, okay? Now, if he has to be the perfect example, because Christ has to be the perfect example like you and I, true or not? He has to be like, just like, well, um, you know, Jesus Christ did not sin, okay? So he trusted in, uh, part of the way of not sinning is he must always trust in God the Father, like all of us, okay? So when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he was actually trusting in who the whole time? In his humanity, trusting in God the Father, Okay, he did not pull his God part out and say, "Oh, I'm gonna get some extra infinite amount of point, infinite amount of strength." Right? You know, like when you play video games sometimes, when people are like, "What negative eighty percent with their body, negative 50. He didn't just, "Oh, okay, infinite amount is ours, one hundred, one hundred, one hundred." No, he trusted God the Father all the way through, and it says here, right, that he when he lifts it up upon the cup of the Lord, he does this as a sacrifice. It says, I shall pay my vows to the Lord, O may be in the presence of all His people. Verses 15, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His godly ones. Okay? Is of course, uh, you know, acknowledging, yes, right? Godly ones who die for martyrs are always going to be love and precious in the eyes of the Lord. Right? Even more so for Jesus Christ the Messiah. Right? Put your pinky or thumb here and turn with me to Psalm 118. Now, I think of all these psalms, um, I think Psalm 116 to me is the one that probably has the least clue that this is Messianic. But I think why I see it as Messianic is because of all the other psalms building up uh, to this. 113, 114, 115, and 116. But at the same time, I also feel like of all the psalms, this is the one that's most personal. That if it is a Messianic psalm, it takes us straight to the cross where He's suffering, right? And the cup of salvation is involved. Now, I want to tell you to turn to Psalm 118 because what we just read is that it says, Precious in the sight of the Lord, okay? In the pre- and all the idea also as well that this one is offering a sacrifice in the presence of His people. But in 118, I think 118 helps me see a lot more contextually the flow of these web of Psalms. It is Messianic because if you remember Psalm 118, Psalm 118 is a Messianic Psalm I think we see this a lot in the New Testament. You're familiar with verse 22. The stone which the builders rejected, he became what? The chief cornerstone, right? He became the chief cornerstone. Who's this stone? The Hebrew word is Eben. And Eben is often a many titles of, of the title, the Messiah. There's many titles of the Messiah. One of them is stone, okay? And here, he is the one that other messianic prophecies talk about that. He'll be tested, tried, all these things, okay? He's the one that would be what? That would be struck, right? That he will be rejected by the religious leaders, okay? And then it says, this is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes, okay? So you see the idea that there's people looking, okay? People are looking, right? In the presence of his people. So when you turn back with me in Psalm 114, uh, 116, verses 14, it says, I shall pay my vows to the Lord. Oh, may it be in the presence of His people. I think this is uh, in view, building up to 118, 
Well, at first you're not sure, but by 118, I think it's definitely clear. This is a messianic prophecy about the Messiah being rejected himself in the presence of his people. Verse 15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. And in verse 16, O Lord, surely I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your uh, handmaid. You have loose my bonds. You know, the theme of uh, suffering, the Messiah, other titles of suffering servant, yes? Or servant in Isaiah 53. You ever wonder where Isaiah, especially in Isaiah 53, 52-53, idea of servant comes from? I actually think it comes from the book of Psalms, okay? By the way, I encourage all believers to read the book of Psalms for many reasons. Number one, it's, I think, sometimes, like I think I shared with you guys, when you're going through a tough time, the psalm that ministered to you right away is the psalms. Because why? People are crying out to God, to trust in God, right? They're psalms. Psalms meant to be encouraged. By the way, I love psalms because also as well, it lists so many, when we, we before a few years ago, when we went over Tuesday Bible study, systematic theology, you'll remember that a lot of attributes of God was already established in the book of Psalms, okay? If I had to be stuck in an island with nobody, if I had to be quarantined with only one book in the Bible, you know which one book of the Bible I would pick? I'll pick the book of Psalms. Not because it's just long. I mean, there's some long one, Chronicles, all that other stuff, right? But it's so much about the character and attributes of God. That's how we need to live our life. But on top of that is also the encouragement of many messianic psalms also as well. Now, fortunately, God did not just give us one book. He's given us 66 books to give us a more greater picture. But here when you see, when it says here, uh, in the presence uh, of all of this, here is what God's doing to save us. Verse 16, Lord, oh, surely I am your servant, right? As we saw. And this servant idea of a suffering servant is Jesus Christ the Messiah. I think it has its seed. Already, even in the book of Psalms, especially later on, uh, if you've seen even like Psalms 22, 23, and 24 also as well, which are another uh, um, sets of Psalms that are messianic, uh, one after another, okay? So in light of this, what does this mean for our life? What is our response? What made the Messiah be able to go through all these are the responses to God? And by the way, these are also our response that we have in common that we could carry out. Number one is we must love the Lord. Look with me in verses one. I love the Lord because He hears my voice and my supplication. And verse two gives us the reason. Because He has inclined His ear to me, therefore I shall call upon Him as long as I live. Okay? As long as I live. You realize uh, when we pray to God, sometimes we don't get things our way. Or sometimes God doesn't give us things. He answered yes, but it's not the way we thought of it. Okay? Now, this psalm, I think Jesus Christ reading this, going to the cross, he realized, yes, I know, like he, he, he's going to suffer. But in the end, in God's, the Father's timing, was he spared? And was he lifted up? Yes, he was, and he lived, okay? Uh, verses 2, offer thanksgiving. Not only should we love the Lord, we should also offer thanksgiving. Verses 2, right? Uh, sac- to you I shall offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon the name of the Lord. Uh, verses 18 also gives a third application is give give to God, right? It says, shall pay my vows to the Lord, all may be in the presence of all His people, okay? And number four, praise God. Because in verses uh, 19, in the court of the Lord's house, in the midst of you, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord, okay? What was uh, three again? Sorry. Number three is uh, 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 of the responses to God, you mean? 
is give to God. Give to God. That's based upon verse 18 about shall pay my vows. Okay. Okay, so in light of this, I think hopefully we could appreciate this a little bit more in the angle of this ministering to Christ the last few hours before and last week before he died on the cross. Okay? 